0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 52, continuing our preview of AESLD's upcoming The Liver Meeting 2022, plus, from the vault, a conversation from our Liver Meeting 2021 coverage that takes a look at NITs and the role they might play going forward. Bjorn Schottenberg starts this conversation by mentioning Abstract 94, titled Novel Mobile Health Delivered Lifestyle Intervention Program, parens, new healthy weight, close parens, in patients with NASH, a randomized controlled proof of concept study, which will be part of Parallel Session 12, NASH Therapeutics and Omics, Sunday afternoon from 2 to 3.30. This is a small trial in patients with NASH and obesity. The researchers sought to measure weight loss and also weekly engagement with the Noom Healthy Weight app. 70% of the patients met the weekly engagement goal and they lost an average of 5.3 gigs over 16 weeks as compared to patients with more typical lifestyle management and non-weekly engagement who lost an average of 1 kg. Jeff McIntyre enters the conversation energetically energetically. energetically, to note that he loved this abstract and intended to treat Duke, and I quote, preach truth from it. Jeff found it promising that remote technology could generate 70% weekly engagement in terms of what it means for clinical trials. He also finds this data promising in terms of providing a program patients can use to measure health and manage fatty liver disease. By contrast, Jeff discusses recent conversations he has had with a patient who had been diagnosed for NAFLD and was not maintaining successful self-management because he was, in Jeff's words, bouncing around instead of knowing what to do. I joined the conversation at this point to make a couple of points. First, to know that the small sample and short scope of trial makes its no adverse event result, what we should expect. And second, that the recent high level of layoffs at Noom called into question what a successful commercial model to deliver this kind of program might look like. I extend that to consider different payment models and product definitions. As the conversation ends, Jeff notes that the layoffs I mentioned are the result of a post-pandemic dive in participation in wellness apps that affected virtually every company sponsoring one. I agree. Our last three episodes of the podcast provide a pretty robust preview of what we are about to hear at the liver meeting starting Friday. Actually, by the time these posts, we'll be well into the meeting already. So listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion
1: group. Jörn Schottenberg. I was looking at Parallel 12, NASH Therapeutics and Omics, and this is really a great session. I don't want to go into the medical treatment here. One abstract I really liked was by Jonathan Stein from Penn State, and he's been doing some interesting studies in terms of physical activity and getting people to enroll in clinical trials in this arena. And and now they present a small trial, randomized, 16 weeks, comparing a mobile health app with lifestyle intervention for 16 weeks in patients with obesity, mainly as far as I can say, and NASH also. And they're looking at some endpoints, not so much efficacy, but also the weekly engagement of the app. And they had a threshold that was defined. They had 70% of the population meet that weekly engagement threshold. And in that group, you had more weight loss was 5.3 kilograms versus one kilogram in the standard of care arm. So I thought that was a neat way to actually show how engagement and engagement can be done at multiple levels. Um, This is through uh, here, a mobile app can help those patients to stay focused and achieve their world goal changes that reminds us that we really have to stay, help our patients to achieve the goals that in busy clinics, we normally just call out to them and, and, and then let them take their own shot at it, I guess.
2: So
0: uh, Jeff, I see from the smile on your face that we're getting into your neighborhood. Why don't
1: you go ahead? Jeff McIntyre.
2: Oh! Oh, notably, you're, and you're killing me, man. You, you stole my abstract I was going to preach truth and gospel about. You should you should go put that knife back in your head, I think. Holy cow. That was uh, something. Yeah, I um agree with oh, you.
1: Mazin Nuruddin. Oh my
2: god, Jeff, Jeff is so pissed at <laughs> <laughs> <it's> alright. <laughs> Ma- Mazin, you always come on this
0: podcast and say that you want to bring real emotion, and then real emotion comes up and you go, oh my gosh. You yeah, Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> but this this was like a real, 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 real emotion. Anyway, sorry for that. I'm I'm defending my friend, uh, Dr. Shadenberg.
2: I appreciate that, but got to also bring the authenticity to this conversation, too. Yeah, this is an interesting study to me for a couple of things. I mean, you mentioned it last week, Roger, when we had our part one of this conversation, and Jorn brings up a couple of interesting points here as well. I took a couple of other interesting elements out of this. I mean, it's a small study to begin with. It's a proof-of-concept study, but as he mentioned, one of the things that he points out is that they had 70% of weekly engagement on this, and that seems pretty significant to me that they actually had people weekly who continued to use it and i think that points to two things that are promising one is that it is a remote it is a personalized sort of technology and so i think that holds promise for measurements on clinical trials as they become more and more remote the ability to be able to gather data the ability to be able to allow folks to not have to necessarily come into a center or a medical facility of some sort and so i think that's got some Really interesting implications there as well. You know, you get into programs like Noom or any program that is an app like this, and there are, I'll say, controversies and conversations and discussions around the larger group of apps, if you will. You know, there's pros and cons to the usefulness of calorie counting, there's pros and cons to the usefulness of kind of the terms and conditions on the gathering of the personal data. If you've had a conversation with me, you know I'm gonna raise that in there somewhere as well. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me in this, well, number one, there were no adverse events. That was really great to hear that it was solid. But in the absence of adverse events, if that's not too redundant, I think it really points to the benefits of a program. We have seen early on with a conversation with uh, fatty liver disease and with NASH is, you know, we likened it akin to an alcoholic going in for counseling and the the medical professional saying, you know, have you considered not drinking? And it's like, well, no kidding. that would be helpful and so we see patients with presenting with diabetes or obesity and the advice that they're getting as well you should cut back have better nutrition and some physical activity and that's hardly news to patients on that the question is not whether to do that it's how to do it and how to do it knowledgeably and you almost need a coach and there are plenty of like fitness coaches which is a bad name for that but I think one of the things that these apps represent outside of the controversies however it's accomplished about calorie counting or whatever is that it prescribes a It allows patients to be able to measure A, B, and C by day, by meal, by afternoon, by steps, whatever it takes to be able to do. And I think that's the real promise in this. I I just had a conversation with an individual who was just diagnosed a couple of months ago with what he called the naffled. He wasn't really sure how to approach it. He said he had given up fast food, which for him was a huge sacrifice to be able to do. But then his weight bounced back because he had made up from it from, you know, probably eating too many sugars and too many any carbs based on his opinion of that. And so he was just kinda of lost in the jungle and the morass of kind of what to do. And I think that's one of the things that is is promising about these apps that Dr. Stein, you know, he's focused on Noom and this and does a lot of good work. But I think that's the promise of this as well, is that it gives patients a program as opposed to just kind of a large principle by which they need to react to.
0: Okay, truth in packaging. My wife's a former Noom employee and I'm gonna talk a little bit about a couple of things in this paper that give me they don't give me pause, but they raise questions. The only thing that gives me pause, Jeff, is that if you have two groups of 20 for 16 weeks and you report no adverse effects, I'm not that excited. It isn't long enough. It isn't enough people. Every other comment I'm about to make is not about Noom per se. It's Well, one is, but generally not. Over the last year, that company's laid off 1,500 people, mostly in coaching. That doesn't mean this study isn't good. That doesn't mean Noom isn't good. What that means is that the commercial model that buttresses this study may not be manageable. And you get to the question, who's going to pay and what does who's going to pay tell you about what you got? One way to interpret this, study would be this certain people who go into a program that they're paying for maintain their motivation at least for four months. Others don't. Now, the ones who maintain for four months, do they maintain for eight? Do they maintain for 12? Because we know if you stop maintaining, you're likely to gain uh, both weight back. So we don't know how many people stuck for more than six. It's encouraging study. Don't get me wrong. We don't know how many people stuck for more than 16 weeks. And if the commercial model for that company doesn't hold up, then we have to ask who's going to pay for this and make it work. Now, I happen to look at these companies just for fun, and we're seeing some emerging right now that have decided they can't make a consumer pay model work. So what they're doing instead is looking to invest a lot more money developing healthcare data and getting payers to pay. Commercially, that strikes me as a more viable approach if you can prove it out, but it will take a longer time to get there. And then the third category are the digital therapeutic apps, where they're actually going for FDA approval themselves, at which point they will or won't get reimbursement, but they will be demonstrated to achieve what they had in mind. I think this is a really fertile area. I think over the next few years, in one of a number of directions, this will take off and it will, for the patient, who are self-empowered are one to do the work themselves or the people Louise talks about to see one fiber scan reading and jump on it, I think we'll have ways for them to go and a bunch of them. And this is a really promising first step, but it raises about as many questions to me as it does answers.
2: If I may jump in on a couple of those points very quickly, Roger, is that I think that some of the issues that you've raised there are also issues that are endemic to the quote unquote diet app or physical activity app industry, if you will, that largely profited and benefited and saw a huge rise during the height of COVID and all of us being trapped inside as well, people were more focused on what they could do individually. And so we've seen kind of a lessening across all of those apps, whether it's Garmin, like I've got on their specific apps, Map My Fitness, you know, Strava, uh, any of the other apps we've seen. We have seen that dive happen everywhere. When you talk about Noom releasing a lot of their coaches, yeah, there was kind of a boom for those. And now there's a bit of a constriction across the industry for many of those apps as well. Your point of about whether people maintain is the grand question with all these apps. It's related to the calorie counting controversy as well. I think it plays more to my point, which is that people will profit from a program better than they will without a program. And we see that in terms of health. We see that in terms of fitness. If you can maintain, and there are plenty of other areas where this comes into as example, that if you have a program to stick to then, and if you have a coach uh, specifically, then you're more likely to be successful and more likely to hit those goals, whatever they are, whether they're fitness or weight loss or whatever it is. And so I still see some promise in this. I think, frankly, if there had been an adverse effect with an app, that that would have been very alarming. It's not necessarily notable that there's no adverse effects. You know, there's no real adverse effect from me wearing my garment. If there had been, that would be a, quite alarming. But I think that they point out that, hey, this is, by saying there's no adverse effects, that there is a lot of potential here as well and needs to be explored.
1: And now, back to to Roger.
0: We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back Monday and Tuesday afternoons, Eastern U.S. time with daily review episodes, Monday for the weekend and Tuesday for Monday at the liver meeting. And we will have a summary of key points from those two episodes on Wednesday evening. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We look forward to seeing you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.